Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist and the author of the Complete Compliance Handbook, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 389 of the FCPA Compliance Report. Today, I have a real treat for you. I have Sean Rogers. Sean is Sean is Lead Counsel, Compliance Training and Communications at General Motors, and Sean was brought to General Motors to completely revamp their compliance training. In this podcast, he details how he did this, uh, the factors he took a look at, how he did a essentially a risk assessment of the training, and then delivered a solution based upon what he found in the risk assessment. It is not only a fascinating exploration of a topic that does not get a lot of play, focused, effective, and tailored compliance training, but also he lays out the steps that you can utilize for your compliance training program. It's a most excellent podcast, and I know you will enjoy it. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode, and you are in for a real treat today. I have with me Sean Rogers. I've known Sean for many years in the compliance profession, but what I didn't know until I was preparing for this podcast is his um, special specialization and his uh, professional training in training creating training programs, and uh, he has what I think is one of the most unique jobs in the compliance field. He is the lead counsel, compliance training and communications at General Motors, and he has put together an incredibly innovative training program that I've asked him to talk about, and he's graciously uh, 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 been able to take some time to visit with uh, me today. So, Sean, with that somewhat long-winded introduction, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me, and welcome. My pleasure, Tom. It's It's good to be back talking with you again. So, um, why don't we maybe start uh, off with a little bit about your background, because you've really had two careers and maybe tie that into uh, how you got to GM and what you were at, uh, tasked to create there. Sure. So my role at General Motors is to oversee compliance training and communications. Uh, at previous companies, I was a compliance generalist, and I had a great time working on policies, codes of conduct, managing due diligence programs, conducting investigations, basically the full gamut of what a compliance officer would do. Um, at GM, I was asked to be a specialist and focus solely on our compliance and training and communication uh, program. So I really, like you said, I've had two careers. Um, prior to becoming an ethics and compliance practitioner, I worked as an instructional designer and a training program manager for WordPerfect. I know that dates me a bit. Um, Compaq and Hewlett Packard. Uh, then I went through a midlife crisis and went to law school. And after putting four years of uh, evening law school in at University of Houston, I was fortunate enough to uh, start working in the compliance profession. Then in 2016, GM was beefing up its compliance program. We were just coming off the ignition switch issue, and we had a federal monitor put in place. And they reached out to me to discuss the new position that they were building in the ethics and compliance team. GM was looking for someone with with both a training background and a compliance background. They wanted someone to come in and take a you know, a holistic approach to their program and basically strive to make it a best-in-class program. Uh, personally, I thought it was a great fit um, and a wonderful career opportunity. And fortunately, GM agreed. And so the next thing you knew, I was uh, uh, leaving southern, sunny Southern California and moving on to Detroit. And so for the past two years, this has been my dream job. I'm able to merge my former career in training with my uh, passion for ethics and compliance. 
So, Sean, you mentioned a, a couple of different issues GM was under, and uh, obviously um, a lot of scrutiny both from the public and from uh, the government regulatory side in the form of a corporate monitor. So with that sort of background, knowing that uh, you're going to be uh, really watched very closely by a wide variety of stakeholders here, what were some of the guiding principles uh, that you found GM wanted in its compliance training? You know, those, those situations were somewhat of a mixed blessing because GM had really focused on um, doing a program that was going to be really good and to really recover from those issues. And so we, we stepped back and thought, you know, what, what should we do to design this program in such a way um, that it will resonate with our employees? And we, we felt that the founding principles were simple. They were to trust and respect. And what I mean, what I mean by trust is that we're going to trust our employees that they're going to do the right thing. And we believe that they will do the right thing if they understand the rules and the guidelines that we put forth in our code and our policies. And so we, we're going we're gonna to trust them to do the right thing. Second of all, we want to respect our employees. And when it comes to a training program, it's interesting to think about what respect might mean. Um, well, first, we're going to respect their intellect. We're not going to put out corny, cheesy training materials. We're going to keep it informative. We're going to try to make it interesting. We're going to make a special focus to keep it relevant to their roles. And most importantly, probably from a compliance perspective, is that it's completely relevant to GM's risk exposure. Um, and, and then secondly, you know, as we respect them, we're also going to respect their time um, by keeping the training as concise and short as possible. Um, for right now, our total seat time for our annual required training is, is about three hours. And so really, it comes down to trust and respect. And we found that that resonates as we talk about training with our employees. So let me ask you about one of the points you raised, Sean. You said, uh, first, we respect our employees' intellect by keeping the training informative, interesting, and relevant to their roles and relevant to their risk. When you say their risk in that, uh, in that phrase, does that mean actually uh, the risk profile for the individual employee or at least that employee's role within GM? Exactly. Yes. We, we want to make sure that the training applies to them. And whatever role they're doing, we recognize that every role at GM carries a different risk profile. Um, some of our employees that work in the engineering space, perhaps um, safety is a huge risk and vehicle safety. That's, that's the kind of issues that, that we've had in the past um, that got us the monitorship. Um, other employees might have an anti-corruption risk or bribery risk or, or uh, you know, anything like that. Um, some, some do international trade and have risks with sanctions and such. So we, we wanted to tailor a program so that we, it would really drill, drill in on what their risks um, are as an individual. Um, it, it, with an employee base of 80 to 85,000 that we're targeting, it's difficult to really tailor it. Um, so we're trying to do a few things um, in regards to the structure of the program and the structure of the courses that will do that. And, and I raise that because that's something in the FCPA, FCPA world. The Department of Justice has specifically uh, included that in new best practices, which is tailored training and tailored, as you have said, relevant to the individual employee's risk exposure. So that's uh, exactly what the government wants in a different area, and that's what uh, you guys set out to do at General Motors. Exactly. I mean, we are totally aware of the guidance we get relating to the FCPA, and, and that's the genesis of a lot of the compliance programs that have been traditionally built. Um, but we've expanded that to all types of risks that we have at General Motors. 
So that really leads to my next question is, could you explain the difference in what you have articulated as risk-based training versus what, um, unfortunately, many uh, employees receive, which is really just check-the-box training so that a company can say, uh, we've given our employees training on the code of conduct, on our policies and procedures, or on a wide variety of other areas. Absolutely. And I've thought a lot about this um, in my career. I think if a program is risk-based, it will have some characteristics. It will train the right people on the right risks to the right level of detail. It will use scenarios that are completely relevant to the company and to that employee's position. And you'll do the training at the right frequency rather than making just the rote, check-the-box, automatic process. Um, in addition, there's always the training or the translation aspect. We will obviously want to train the, uh, translate the training into the languages that are primarily used in the company. And then we'll refresh the training frequently. Um, on the other hand, I think one of the worst things that a training program can do is to require to take an identical course multiple times. I, I think that's a quick way to sabotage the effectiveness of a training program. And, it, and in my opinion, it makes it look like a check-the-box program. It looks like you're not devoting the resources to really putting in the thought and effort to make it a risk-based program. Um, and if you, if you want to contrast that to what I would think a, a program that's not risk-based would look like, um, I think that a, a check-the-box program would be a program that would simply train everybody with the exact same courses on all the risks the company faces, um, perhaps talking to them like they were all lawyers or maybe even worse, that they were all engineers. Um, making them take the same training year over year and, and rarely doing anything to refresh it and make it engaging and interesting. So that's what I would, that's how I would contrast a risk-based program versus a, a check-the-box program when it comes to training. So one of the things that I think is innovative about the GM program is it recognizes that there are multiple stakeholders who benefit from training. Obviously, if you train employees, one of the direct uh, purposes is to benefit the employees, that they'll have greater knowledge in whatever you may be training them in. But I was wondering how the risk-based approach that you've helped institute really uh, benefits General Motors as a company. That's, a, that's an insightful question, and I've thought about this as well. I, I look at it from a very broad perspective, and I look at it in terms of culture. You know, it's common knowledge that GM went through two major, very traumatic events just a few years apart. First, there was the bankruptcy, and our reputation took a hit. And then there was the ignition switch issue, where um, some very serious things were uncovered as far as what uh, um, what that meant for individuals who who had certain automobiles that we we had built. Um, coming off that, I think this GM was at a decision point, you know, a point of of making changes that would save the company or perhaps even um, go out of business. And the leadership, in my opinion, really stepped up and made a commitment to doing the right things in terms of its culture. They really decided to attack the problem at its roots. They made a huge investment in restoring the company to the basic principles of safety and integrity. And and this investment included putting significant resources into cultural transformation and training is just one element of that overall strategy. Um, I look at, at the training program as a contributor to that cultural transformation that GM decided to embark upon several years ago. Um, but of even greater point, uh, importance, I think, is the uh, commitment to setting the right tone from the very highest levels of the company. Um, you know, sometimes you, you'll see a company that 
when, when there's a problem that comes up, they immediately resort to, well, we need to do more training. I think the Me Too movement was a great example where several companies came right out and said, well, we're going to require all of our employees to, to be trained on this um, and, and made it sound like it was a problem that training could fix. And while training may help, I, I don't think it's a, it's a cure-all. And so going back to your question, I think the risk-based training program will reemphasize the, the cultural transformation that we're trying to go through and emphasize the principles of integrity and transparency and um, just the commitment to doing the right thing. So uh, what did you find were some of the legacy challenges for GM in the compliance training and how have the uh, at least some of the new approaches you've been a part of responded to those legacy challenges? So this will lift up the, uh, the covers a little bit, do some inside baseball here. Um, when I came on board at GM, I, I took a step back and just thought, I'm going to just look around and ask questions and really just evaluate everything we're doing in regards to training. And what I think I discovered was a, was a situation that's probably very common. I've seen it before in my career, and I think it's probably still very common, where companies um, have not put a lot of thought into how they would strategically build a compliance training program. In other words, it kind of develops in an ad hoc fashion over time. Courses pop up when there's issues or perhaps somebody sees a risk and wants to address, but, but there's never been a cohesive structure put around it. And that's what I found um, when I got to GM is that we had, we had good training materials. We had some solid courses um, and they were implemented professionally. But what happened was um, there was a loose governance structure. Um, there was no real standards um, across the various courses. So every course had a different look and feel. It felt different. Perhaps the navigation um, was different. You had to relearn the interface. Um, there were some topical gaps that we found that, that just weren't addressed, that really needed to be addressed. Um, some of the content, you could tell it had been written by attorneys. And so it, was, it had a legalistic tone to it. Um, some of it had been written, been written by engineers, and so you had some of the uh, engineers speak. Um, and then the one thing that really, really kind of went against my philosophies was that we were repeating some of the same courses year over year and making the employee take the same course. And so, you know, I, I called this version 1.0. I, I found version 1.0 when I came into uh, the GM. And so I thought, what would version 2.0 look like? And we, we made this into an operational excellence project that had stakeholders uh, buy in at the very highest levels. Um, version 2.0 was going to be a complete overhaul. Uh, the first thing I did was to conduct what I call a training needs analysis. And I, I think that's just a fancy term for talking to a lot of really smart people and asking a lot of questions and getting their feedback and then kind of assimilating that into an overall strategy. Um, I tried to get my hands around the entire scope of what GM's risks would look like. Um, and then I figured out, you know, who owned those risks in the company and, and how I could make some of those individuals part of the extended team to develop the training. Um, we took the time to put in place a governance structure. Um, the chief compliance officer, Jeff Taylor, um, chairs that along with our VP of, of, of talent management from the HR function. Um, they're co-chairs and so they oversee what we do from a learning perspective and a compliance perspective. Um, they look at our spend. Um, and they basically, you know, give us some direction on how we can make this really be a GM-specific program. Um, we developed a draft. Uh, we drafted a charter for that team, for that governance team, so they knew what their responsibilities were. Um, and then we went out and looked at several of the best-in-practice compliance training companies that provide good content and, and looked to see who we could partner with 
to make the content very engaging. Um, and from there, we created our overall architecture that would help us to really organize and prioritize our approach to training on compliance and risk topics at GM. So the, um, can you describe in a little more detail the overall training architecture that helps you organize and prioritize your training improvement strategy? Sure. So as I, were, as I was looking at the landscape of the risks at General Motors, um, there were many different factors we had to consider. Um, I come up with a list of 16, and I won't bore you with all 16 of the influencing factors. But we looked at all these different things. What was the monitor telling us? What were our cultural assessments telling us? What courses have we done in the past? What issues have we had in the past around compliance? And we, we kind of boiled these down into a list of, of topics that we would need to cover. So once we had the topics in place, the architecture helped us frame up how we would present them um, to our audiences. And obviously, you don't want to train everybody on every topic. And so we, we developed what I call our risk-based training program architecture. And I pulled these ideas from different places in the training profession to come up with the structure. And really, what this is, is the PowerPoint slide that I can do and use in one slide or one picture to explain to executives what I wanted to build. Um, but what I did was I created a pyramid structure that basically had four slices um, going from the, the base to the top. And um, it's kind of hard to describe without using visuals, but I'll give it a shot. At the, at the bottom level of the period, which is obviously the base, and it's the widest the part of the pyramid, um, that represents the broadest possible training audience. And we call this um, our general awareness level. Um, what we do is, is we create training at this level that goes out to all of our badged salaried employees. And this is really intended to send the, set the tone and drive awareness of the risks we face. Um, and, and basically let the audience know, you know, as a GM employee and because you have a badge, what are your duties to the company and how do you identify some of these risky, risky situations that you might come across as an employee? And so all of our 80,000 employees are going to get this online, um, set of courses that are the awareness level at the base of the pyramid. Then as you move up the pyramid, you start trying to focus the training in so it becomes more tailored to the audience. The next level, we also had to go with an online model because it goes to so many people. I call this the, um, the um, focused risk layer. And at this level, what we do is we, we create courses around some of the more traditional risk topics that you would find in the compliance program. This is where we have um, a deep dive course on anti-corruption, deep dive course on trade compliance, antitrust, privacy, data, uh, information security, um, and so on. And we have, a, we have a suite of six courses in this area. And these are longer courses, and they're more detailed. But what we do is we don't do them every year. These courses are repeated on a three-year rolling calendar. And these courses use adaptive technologies. And so someone who doesn't do anything around international trade would probably come in and fill out the survey at the start of the course and get 10 minutes of general awareness training on what trade risk means. And then somebody who does a lot of work in the international trade space, they'd probably get a 35 to 40 minute course. It's the same course, but it's just feeding up the content based upon how they answer the risk profiling questions that are given at the first of the course. And so that's the second level of the pyramid. And the third and fourth levels just continue to um, increase in specificity and in the target audience. So the third level is where we provide a set of tools for like online just-in-time training. So we might have a module that says, um, if you're going to China, 
next week, this is what you need to be aware of. And so it would be a three to five minute module um, that they could take on demand. So this is the on-demand level. And this is also the level where we start doing a lot of emphasis on live training, where we send in our subject matter experts to certain uh, regions or certain functions, or even people who are engaging in certain activities. And then the very top layer of the pyramid, the tip of the spear, so to speak, is where we've had an issue. Usually it's a remediation topic where we want to go in and do very specific training, maybe just two or three or 10 individuals um, on how to handle a given situation. And so at that point, it becomes um, less of a training and more of a consultation, but it's still considered training and we still track it like training. And so you have this four, four layer pyramid architecture that we use to frame up how we organize our courses. I hope that's not too long of an answer to a short question, though. No, no, it was uh, very thorough and uh, excellent. But uh, actually, I wanted to now, you've told us in detail about the architecture. What about the uh, GM compliance training strategy? So this will get into the weeds a little bit, but the training strategy just lays on top of that pyramid architecture, and it gives detail about how we map in our courseware. Um, what we did was we looked, at, like I said before, we looked at the whole risk profile and said, you know, there are certain risks, there are certain buckets, there are certain categories of risks that we want to reinforce with our employees every single year. Now, of course, we want to change up the courses and have different focuses in the courses and different scenarios and such. But basically, every year, we want our employees to, to learn about four main categories of risk. And the first bucket is just general code of conduct stuff. That's the uh, conflicts of interest, speaking up, how to report issues. Um, that's the non-retaliation policy. That's um, where we talk a little bit about gifts and entertainment. That's what we did this year. And so the, you've got this general code course. And also at the end of that code course, we have them certified that they've reviewed the course and they agreed to abide by it and, and so forth. And we also give them a, a chance to disclose their conflicts of interest at the end of that course. So that's the first bucket. The second bucket we realized is that GM has a lot of information that just needs to be protected, whether that's our uh, confidential plans, you know, the internal emails, you know, it's the, it's the stuff that could get us in trouble um, with, with phishing or cyber attacks. It's, um, protecting our intellectual property. So we had the second buck bucket around protecting GM's information. And this year we focused in very highly on cybersecurity. And next year we'll talk about um, privacy and, and we'll kind of rotate those topics, but it will be the second annual required course around protecting our information. The third bucket just goes to the employee relationship with each other and with the company. So that's, a, that's an HR bucket. And of course, this year, the big focus on that topic is uh, around that risk is anti-harassment. So this year, we had an anti-harassment course that really drilled down into all aspects of, of harassment. Um, and that course will repeat with an HR focus year over year. And I think harassment will probably be a core element of that for several years going forward. And finally, and maybe even most important to GM, was a course about safety. And um, this is this is safety with a capital S, as we say here at GM, which means both product safety, the safety of our vehicles, and also workplace safety, making sure that our workplaces are are safe and clean and, and able we're able to work comfortably. And so the fourth bucket is a, a general safety course um, that talks about the importance of speaking up for safety issues, both with our vehicles and things we see at the work site. Um, and so those are the four buckets of risk, and we have a course around each one of those risks that we'll give every year as part of our um, that lower level of the pyramid. And then at the second level, I mentioned before, this is where we have the 
specific risks. This is where we have the course on anti-corruption and trade and antitrust and so forth that we rotate year over year. Um, and anti-corruption, obviously, this is one of your main areas of interest. Every year, neither the core courses or in that risk area, we will talk about anti-corruption. So there will never be a year when we don't talk about um, the requirements of the FCPA um, in terms that the employee would understand. So it's not like we're skipping a year on, on FCPA because we're not. It's just that we're rotating it from a core topic to a focus topic year over year. So that's the second layer. And then the third layer, of course, is the live training that we do as an organization. And then the top is the, uh, you know, the remediation training that we might have after an investigation. So, so we map the courses that we develop. And by the way, we track these courses. We give them a unique ID. We track them in our learning management system just in case we ever are audited or even have, have to reproduce them as far as a, in, in an investigation of some kind. So, Sean, you've talked about in-depth GM training, but what I wanted to ask you was, how does compliance training actually fit into GM's overall compliance uh, culture? Well, we, we kind of integrate with the overall training culture and the compliance, and as far as tra- compliance training, we, we uh, are very integrated. So, what I meant by that first statement was that there's a whole set of learning that goes on at General Motors. These are both compliance skills and soft skills and safety skills and all that. And so we are loosely affiliated with the teams that work with the broader training at, at GM. Um, we, we listen to what their best practices are and what they're learning as far as, um, you know, adult learning theory and such. But it's also done on its own in a standalone way. And it's kind of institutionalized as a compliance training program. And what I mean by being institutionalized is that when I, when I got to GM, I found that there was this artifact called corporate training that was repeated year over year. And I, I decided that that was a good thing because that would help us keep the momentum of what we've done in the past. The employees already had a mindset that every year when they get back from the shutdown on January 2nd, their training list or their learning list is going to be populated with the new courses that are going to be required for that year. And, and they're used to that. Some, company, some parts of the company will really, you know, ask you where it is if you miss it by a day. Um, it's very institutionalized that corporate required training will launch uh, on January 2nd or 3rd. And they also know the deadlines. They know that they have to get them all done by the end of September. And they know there's consequences. And so it's institutionalized, and and the culture is such that they expect it to happen, which is a good thing. They know that they're going to have that expectation year over year. Um, But it's also integrated. And by integrated, this is where my job role kind of overlaps from the training sphere into the communications sphere. Do a training that they could take the first day they're back and forget about for the rest of the year. Of course, they could complete all their courses that first day, but they're going to be hearing messages about compliance all the time. We have a compliance week in May where we make a big splash and push the corporate required training and push the, the current main risks. But we also have multiple channels inside of GM where we constantly are putting out messages um, about compliance and, and ethics and doing the right thing and winning with integrity so forth. And as, as important and as pervasive as those channels are, I'm a firm believer that 10 minutes from our CEO talking about the importance of integrity goes farther than pretty much any course could do. Um, so you don't hear Mary stand up and give a speech where she, where she neglects to mention safety or integrity. It, it just always happens. And, and so we have great support 
um, from the top. And that's really helped us to integrate our message, um, both in terms of safety and in terms of um, ethics and compliance. You know, Sean, if there's one message I could cut out and print on every email or every piece of communication I sent out, it's exactly what you just said about your CEO. Uh, it don't get no better than that. When she talks about safety and integrity uh, at every corporate event, that's uh, that's great. Um, yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, you talked a fair amount earlier about tailored training, and we uh, put that in the context of the uh, – Department of Justice's evaluation of corporate compliance programs. I now wanted to ask you about a second component that uh, appeared in that document that has um, uh, given consternation to many compliance professionals, and that's uh, it also specified effective training. And I was wondering if you could give us a few words on how General Motors demonstrates compliance training effectiveness. <laughs> you had to ask me about that. <laughs> um, I think that measuring effectiveness is kind of the holy grail for a training professional. I mean, how do you really know that the training you produce made a difference and made an impact? And, and even if you think it did, how, how would you ever prove it? Um, and so I, I've really struggled with this. And I think it's something we all struggle with um, to really prove or demonstrate effectiveness. Um, but we do have some approaches. Um, we, we do we do try to prove our effectiveness or demonstrate our effectiveness by really following best practices. And, um, you know, I, I could, there's that old saying that you can prove, you can show correlation, but you can't prove causation. And so you might be able to do some things some trend analyses to show that, that there were some spikes in, in hotline reports after you've done a training session. And we do, we do monitor that and, and look for, for trigger events that might cause spikes. Um, but really what we try to do is, is look at it holistically in terms of the overall compliance program. Now, when it comes to the training itself, um, we, we do the things I've mentioned previously. We try to keep the courses engaging and relevant. We, we enforce the completion requirement and we penalize um, non-completions. Um, we do end-of-course surveys that, that ask about the training. Was it relevant? Did, did the approach work? Um, was there anything you didn't like about it? And, and one thing that we do now and we maybe didn't do so on the path is we actually go through those surveys and look at them closely. Um, we don't get a huge response rate. We get like 7% response on our surveys, but we do look at the ones we get back. Um, and then we go out and we hire our best in class partners that, that know what adult learning means, what the techniques are and, and how to instructionally design a course so that it's engaging and effective. Um, we do a lot of, of informal polling, both through our intranet and through just asking groups that we engage with, you know, is the training effective and how can we make it better? Um, we constantly look at our risk profile and try to tailor the courses to the risk profile. And, and when we, we try to follow the continual improvement model where when we get feedback or find an error or find a certain scenario that's not resonating or people are getting confused about, we listen to that and we try to adjust it. Um, but at a broader level, I'm, I'm kind of a, of a mindset that it's hard to dissect just the training element of an effective compliance program from the overall compliance program and measure just the effectiveness of training. And so we, we try to measure the overall compliance program. We've done a, a cultural risk assessment, or not a risk assessment, a cultural assessment on our ethical um, culture um, at GM. We did that. The timing was perfect. We did the first one back um, just before the ignition switch scandal hit. And so we were able to take a point in time when we hadn't had a huge emphasis on compliance 
And then we did one just last year, and we were able to observe where we've moved the needle. And then we tried to drill down into why we've moved the needle. Every aspect was in a positive direction. And, and so we tried to drill down into that. So I, I hope that should we ever be asked to demonstrate our effectiveness, we'd be able to point back to some of these efforts we've made um, to really do quality training. And, and then the metrics that we can generate, um, of course, we'll do that. Um, I, but I, I, do, I do think it's hard to separate how effective is your compliance training for how effective is your overall compliance training program. Sean, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but uh, I did want to ask you one final question, which is uh, you've really uh, laid out a lot of detail for us, both in terms of architecture and strategy. And one thing that I think many compliance professionals get locked into is uh, they, they outline, they plan, they put an architecture in place, and then they put on the training really with, with zero flexibility for ongoing events. And um, from your perspective, is flexibility, the flexibility that you would have as a compliance generalist, does this also come into play uh, in your role as um, the uh, compliance training and communications manager at GM? Yes, and I, I learned that lesson somewhat the hard way. Um, last year, we put in place this whole proposal for how we were going to structure training for 2018, which courses we were going to deliver. We got the contract in place. We got the vendors engaged. We started working on the courses. We had everything bundled up in a nice little wrapper, ready to go with all the translations ready to go on December 15th, ready to turn the switch on on January 2nd. Um, but we had a blind spot. We didn't know the Me Too movement was going to occur when it did. And literally on the day I was driving home from work, um, the, the day before the shutdown started, I got a call from the chief compliance officer and said, um, senior leadership says we have to have an anti-harassment course in the program for 2018. And so we had to uh, spin up an effort um, and figure out how that course would fit into our architecture. And we were able to make some adjustments. Um, we released all the other courses on time in January. We released an anti-harassment course as part of Compliance Week in May, which has now been taken by over um, 33,000 employees worldwide in just a matter of six weeks. And so we did build the flexibility in there. It was kind of a crisis. It kind of required an all-hands-on-deck approach. But I think that you, you need to constantly evaluate whether your architecture and your, and your deployment of your courseware and your curriculum uh, matches the current needs. And, and I, I totally anticipate that this three-year calendar that I've laid out is aspirational and that by the time we get to year three, it will look different than what it looks like on paper right now. But flexibility is critical. And I think that you can build that into um, to your program just by thinking holistically and looking at your risk profile. So I've been visiting with Sean Rogers. Sean is lead counsel, compliance and training and communications at General Motors. He's been visiting with us about what I think is really a uh, innovative training approach to compliance that Sean and his team uh, have put into place. Sean, I really wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Hey, Tom, it's been my pleasure. It's good to talk with you again. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. There is a more extensive Q&A interview with Sean in the most recent issue of Compliance Week, which I'll link to in the show notes. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.